0: Good evening everyone, so good to be here at the 6, here at our city location. Hope you enjoyed the merch sale. Oh my gosh, who got some bargains? Amazing. I'm going to talk this evening about how we can find rest in the stress of life. I don't know how you're feeling, whether um, you're in a place in your life where you sort of feel like you've just had a holiday and you're really relaxed and things are really, really great. Or perhaps you're facing an essay deadline Maybe you've just had a promotion at work, you've just moved somewhere new and actually you're feeling like life is really busy right now and things are getting a little bit more stressful. And the truth is, I wrote this talk mostly to myself because I think I've been going through a little time in my life where I found it more and more difficult to feel rested, peaceful, content and to operate my life out of a place of rest, out of a sort of peaceful, rested place. And if we look more nationally, statistics are showing us that anxiety, depression are on the increase. But a lower grade, more general, pervasive culture of busyness, distraction, frenetic activity means that we're struggling with the pace of life. We're restless. And I want to suggest a couple of reasons as to why that might be and then a couple of solutions as to what we might be able to do. Firstly, looking at why that might be in your life, why you sort of might not feel like you're operating out of a place of rest. Our desires motivate our actions. Uh, to try and explain what I mean. Uh, in the morning when I go to work, I desire to have coffee. And so I walk an extra sort of half an hour to go via Starbucks to make sure I get my coffee. And my desire for coffee dictates my actions and this happens from a really young age your desires motivate your actions I've got a three-year-old daughter called Florrie, and she likes to have her Cheerios in a purple bowl and the other day she got her Cheerios in a green bowl so she lay on the floor screaming as you would much like I behave when I don't have my coffee but um, her desire for Cheerios in a purple bowl led her actions to be screaming on the floor like a banshee but the problem is that our desires grow and grow. And desire is a good thing until it's outside of our control, until suddenly our desires are controlling us rather than we controlling our desire. And it constantly increases. It's not possible to satisfy desire in our life. It goes on and on. If you've ever upgraded your phone, you'll know that within moments of getting that phone out of the shop, you want to upgrade again. It's like immediately someone shows you that they've got something better. We moved house over the summer into this house that we absolutely love and it's sort of got a better kitchen than we had before and it's sort of a better location, really, really good. And we moved in, we're like, oh great, we've got the house that we really, really love. As soon as I sort of walked out the door, I was on right move on my phone looking for other houses, looking for other kitchens, on Pinterest to my wife, sending her cushions that we should get, decided we need to recarpet. we need to do the garden because our desire for stuff, our desire to get better, our desire to succeed doesn't go away. In fact, it just grows. Our desire is infinite. And the problem is that We can't satisfy that desire. We are finite, and desire is infinite, and so it leads to our breakdown. We struggle to find peace, contentment, and rest because of our desire. But also, I don't know if you, this maybe is more what I find in my life, is it's desire, but also it's distraction. The world is Changing and becoming more complicated than ever before. I don't know if you've seen this advert, it's a bit random, but um, there's this advert from confuse.com which um, illustrates this a tiny bit. 2019, the year of confusion. Votes about votes about votes. Recycling. We're all in. But which bin? Are we followers Hi guys. Hi guys. or customers? The circus is in town. Are we being listened to? No. No. no, no. Knock, knock. Who's there? Another delivery? 2019. Has the world gone ga gag, goo, goo? But we can get past the confusion. Don't be confused. confused Beconfused.com Just to say I'm not sponsored by Confused.com. It just happened to be a good illustration. The world has become more complicated. It's going at a faster pace the world is busier, louder, more distracting. And so it means that we struggle to keep up with social media, the news, our online ordering, our friends, our relationships, changes in culture, it's confusing. But it also leads to us feeling tired, feeling exhausted and not rested. In the present, if we don't get what we desire, our emotional response is sadness or anger. But when we think about the future and we think, I might not get what I want. Our emotional response is anxiety. We feel anxious about the future, which means that we're not in the moment anymore. We're sort of thinking and worrying about the future. I don't know if you have any friends who, um, basically I do this, but I sort of say I've got a friend who does this. Um, I spend all day like on my phone thinking about what plans I'm going to make that evening. And so I'm not in the room with my family or with my kids or whoever I'm hanging out with. And then when I get to the plans I've made in the evening, I spend the whole time on my phone making plans for the next day or wondering whatever everybody else is doing. It means that we're in the room, but we're not really in the room. And the truth is that peace is found only in the present. Peace isn't found over there, somewhere else. It's not found when we can access this, when we get this. Peace is only found in the present. Somebody said to me, It's like living your life in a lift. Like if you go in a lift, it's a really unpleasant place to be because as soon as you're in the lift, you can't talk to anyone else. You're desperately trying not to make contact with anyone else in case they start speaking to you, and everyone faces the same direction. Like imagine if you sort of got in there and just looked at everyone as they looked at you and just like stood there in the lift. And then you're sort of waiting silently, trying not to talk to anyone. And if you've got children like I have, you're desperately trying to make them be quiet in the lift so they don't talk to anyone. And then if they catch someone's eye and they start talking or if they make a terrible smell in the lift and you're just like there waiting desperately for floor number eight to arrive. Is your life like living in a lift? You're sort of waiting to get to this destination, but there's no joy while you're waiting because you expect that everything will sort itself out when you get there I don't want my life to be like that it makes us distracted dissatisfied restless our desire is infinite and we are finite but God is infinite and the solution becomes that it's only works when we put all of our desire onto God that we will leave satisfied because God is able to cope and able to satisfy our greatest desire because he as well is infinite St. Augustine says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There are three things that I want to pick out from this um, uh, Bible verse, these words that Jesus spoke that can help us find rest in the everyday. That can help us find a rhythm to our life that means we can operate out of peace and out of a rested place. Three things. Firstly, come to me. Come to me. Last Thursday, I received an invite in the post to go to Lambeth Palace, which is a palace in London where the Archbishop of the Canterbury lives, and it was sort of built uh, hundreds of years ago. It's like this ancient palace on the river, and um, then to have dinner at the House of Lords, which is sort of pretty cool. Um, I'd never been there before. I'd never been for dinner at the House of Lords. I don't know if that's where you go quite often on Monday night, but I was completely surprised to have received this invite, and. Um, I got a bit flappy about it, and I sort of said to my wife, Liz, I was like, oh, I don't really want to go to this thing, I don't really know what it is, I don't know who's invited me, I don't know sort of why I've been invited, and I got really anxious because I was thinking, I think I've been invited by mistake. I think that when I get there, they'll sort of realise, oh, it was the other Alex Wood that we sort of meant to invite, and I sort of started thinking that everybody, I actually got sent the guest list of other people who'd been invited, and when I read it, I was like, I definitely don't feel like I should have been invited I sort of felt like I can't be worthy to sort of be at that gathering I don't know wh- why they've invited me and so I sort of like poor Liz my wife had also been invited but she had to stay home and look after our kids um, and so I was really whingy about it and she's like oh I'm so sorry they've been invited to the Lambeth Palace and then to the House of Lords for dinner and then to stay at the Park Plaza Hotel in Westminster you poor thing Um, So anyway, I went up to London really moody about it, sort of sulky, like walking along um, the Thames. And as I was walking to Lambeth Palace, as you do, I, I looked over the river and there was the House of Commons. It was Westminster. And I took a moment. I thought, hang on. I've got a piece of paper in my bag with the seal of the House of Lords and the logo of Lambeth Palace that has been sent to my house with my name on, specifically inviting me. Like, why am I being so, such an idiot? And so I rang Liz, and I was like, oh, really, sorry. I'm actually quite excited about going. And she's like, yeah, first world problems. Like, you, you enjoy that while I take the kids to nursery. Um, anyway, I sort of turned up with this invite with my name on, and I showed the guy at the gate, and he said, yeah, yeah, we've got you on the list. We'll take you over to this room. And had the most amazing time, actually. It was, it was well, it was not what I expected, but it was like a really amazing time. But I was just worried that I shouldn't really have been invited. And I don't know if you've ever invited anybody to church. Sometimes I invite people to come to church, and this is the reaction I get. I say, oh, um, hey, you should come to like, one of our services. It'd be great. And then one guy said to me once, oh, if I came to your church, the church would burn down. I was like, what? Um, or somebody else said to me once, oh, if I come to your church, I'd melt as I walk through the doors. I was like, you think you'll melt? <laughs> he was like, yeah. But, but what he's trying to articulate is, If you knew what I was like, and if you knew the things that I'd done, you would know that I wouldn't be welcome in your church. You would know that God would say, oh, hang on, don't come in here because you're going to sort of mess up this church. You're going to sort of bring all your rubbish and your baggage, and you're not really worthy of being here. And that's what people think. But Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary. There is an invitation with your name on that hasn't been sent to you by mistake. It's been sent to you knowing full well all the ways that you've messed up. Knowing full well that you're not worthy, that you're not bringing anything to the party. Knowing that your thought life is a mess. Knowing deep down exactly what you're like and exactly what you think. And still your name is written on that piece of paper and Jesus says, come to me. Because your job is to respond and Jesus' job is to repair. You respond and Jesus restores. He says, come to me, all who are weary. The invitation is for everyone, simply to come. The emphasis is on Jesus. Jesus does the work. You know, it's the opposite. You could go to Waterstones and you could find a book on how to find rest in your life. And there would be 25 things that you need to do in order to find rest. That's self-help. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. You don't need to do anything. All you need to do is to come. How do we find rest for our souls? How do we find peace? Firstly, we come to Jesus. Nothing else is required. We come to Jesus and his job is to repair and to restore us. The second thing that Jesus says is, take my yoke. Come to me, take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And obviously, everybody in the room will know that a yoke is a wooden implement that is put over two oxen to help them plow a field together. Yeah, yeah, This this is what it is. I don't know what yoke you're using in your line of work these days, sort of going for a wooden thing. No. It's really weird because basically in 21st century Portsmouth, we don't really use yokes that much. I don't really use yokes at all in my job. Um, But... They would have known that a yoke is this sort of implement, is this sort of tool that you put over two animals because what it does is it makes it easier to pull the load. Another oxen comes alongside and said, hey, if... Well, he doesn't say hey because it's an ox. But metaphorically, the ox comes and says, hey, let me help you out. Put it on me. I'll come alongside you. We'll pull this together. And it makes it easier. In one sense, Jesus was saying that, saying, hey, why don't I come alongside you and let's do this life together. But more than that, Jesus would have used this word yoke and they would have known in the first century, Jews would have known that he was referring to the yoke of the Torah. The Torah is the um, Old Testament that Jewish people had back then and yoke sort of means like doctrine, like the rules, the rhythm, the life, the promise, the covenant of the Old Testament. So Jesus is um, talking about the rules, the obligations of the Old Testament and The Old Testament says that if you keep these rules, then you'll be okay with God. Then that will satisfy all the things that you get wrong. You just have to obey all of these rules. If you can muster up enough strength, enough energy, enough sort of goodwill to change your behavior and live exactly as dictated by the yoke of the Torah, by the doctrine of the Old Testament, then you'll get into heaven, you'll live a blessed life, you'll have a relationship with God. But when Jesus said, take my yoke, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's saying that doesn't work. That old way doesn't work. St. Paul in the New Testament says, for when I tried to keep the law, the law condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Because we know that the harder you try, the harder it gets. Jesus is saying that his yoke is the one that will lead to rest and peace for our souls. What is Jesus' yoke? What's his rhythm? What's his way of doing life? Jesus offers us life in the Spirit. In Romans it says, Those who live with the Spirit desire what the Spirit desires. A life with Jesus is that when we accept his invitation, when we come to him, he fills us with his spirit and changes and transforms us from the inside out. No longer is it about how many rules you can keep, how well behaved you can be, what you can live up to. But instead it's being transformed and being renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And you are transformed and your desires changed. You find that you live in a rhythm with the Holy Spirit and it changes your actions, it changes your desires, it brings you peace that is what Jesus is saying that's what's on offer with him what's on offer with Jesus is not a list of rules there's no list of rules that we can give you and say if you do this this is how you'll find life and peace and rest in Jesus because he says just be filled with my spirit just come to me and be filled with the Holy Spirit and your life will be transformed if you put it like this I think like trying to obey a load of rules to make yourself a better person is a bit like being on a diet and then just desperately wanting chocolate and a Chinese takeaway the whole time. It doesn't work. It leads you to a life of disappointment and you're upset with yourself all the time because you're constantly falling short of this bar that you've set for yourself that actually doesn't lead to life. You enter the cycle of shame and condemnation because despite our best efforts, we can't live up to being the people that we'd like to be and doing the stuff that we wish we could do. And so Jesus offers us a better way of life. Um, This morning, I talked about Kanye West, and they looked at me with the blankest faces. So please be with me when I say most people who come to church are excited this week because Kanye's released an album talking about Jesus. Is it? Yeah. Okay, some people with me. Kanye, everybody's excited. Everyone's got it on their Instagram. Everyone's like saying, I've always listened to Kanye. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you've heard about Kanye, but I read in this really amazing interview he did for Enemy, And he said, with God, I've been able to beat things that had full control of me. He talks about his addictions. He talks about his past. He talks about his times when he had serious mental health problems. And he said, it's a relationship with Jesus that has made it possible for me to change my life and to change my behavior. You can't do it on your own. It's not possible. So to find rest in the stress of life, come to Jesus, take his yoke. And thirdly and finally, Jesus says, learn from me. Learn from me. Salvation and justification happen in a single moment. That's to say that becoming a Christian and being forgiven and knowing that you have this place in heaven and knowing you have a relationship with Jesus happens like that. You can pray a prayer. It takes less than a minute, and you know in that moment that you found salvation and you found justification. But the process of sanctification, of becoming like Jesus, takes time because you have to learn what Jesus's life was like. You have to learn the rhythm that he learned. I don't know what the rhythm of your life is like. Is it a busy rhythm? Do you find that you're running from one thing to the next? Are you stressed out? Are you burned out? Is that the rhythm of what your life is is like, speaking really truthfully, I am quite a busy person and I quite like being busy. I like rushing around. I even bought trainers that means I could job about faster because I like nipping about, getting loads of stuff done. I'm always on time. I sort of am infuriated if anybody is late for me. And genuinely, I think that's a really good thing because it means I get loads of stuff done. I keep my appointments. I'm highly efficient. This is really good. Guys, get on board with how great I am. Okay, fine. The problem is when that sort of like um, behavior seeps into like my family life and like my daughter will come up and she's like, Daddy, I've done your drawing. And i go, get an appointment, get away. And she's like, oh, sorry, Dad. Um, Or like Liz gets in and my wife will get in the neck because I sort of forget to slow down and I forget to look people in the eye and I forget to sort of be distracted by important things that people want to talk to me about because I'm so busy and so on a mission. If we look at Jesus' life, if you look at all four Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, it's really difficult to find an example of a time when he was in a hurry, when he was busy, when he was distracted. In fact, all the amazing miracles that Jesus did were distractions. They were interruptions. And what I would have thought was an interruption, Jesus saw as an invitation an invitation to transform somebody's life to do exactly what he was made to do. I want a new rhythm to my life. I wonder if we've found that the rhythm in our life is that we're distracted, anxious about the future. But we'd love a more restful pace. We'd love a life that's operated out of peace and rest. I did an exercise in my um, sort of like Uh, The rhythm of my life recently. Partly, it sounds really shallow, but I basically um, had noticed that, well, I quit the gym in June because my gym, I've moved house and then my gym was really far away and also really expensive. So I sort of thought, oh, I'm going to quit the gym and get a new gym and I was quite disciplined about going to the gym I carved out because I often work in evening I get into work early and then around three o'clock I take an hour and a half I'd go to the gym and I'd come back to work in at seven in the evening something like that and I found that I always had that time carved out and then I thought well I'll switch gyms and then I'll just carve the same amount of time out in um in my calendar and I'll still keep going to the gym but I sort of took a few weeks off and suddenly I found that every single moment in my day had filled up with stuff. And so the other day I was like, oh, I want to go to the gym, but now I've got no time. But I've not started doing anything more. And then um, somebody showed me this exercise, um, which I maybe will try and do on here. Caitlin, will you hold this so I don't spill everything? So, okay, in this exercise, you just hold this still. Come around the other side. Thanks, Caitlin. you like Debbie McGee. Um, Oh, really old reference. She she just said, I don't know who that is. No, I can't explain it. Um, So, this jug represents your life and my life. And this rice is like the stuff... um, Well, what what I'm going to say is, I'm going to put... This is life that's going into your life. And these delicious cans of travelling sweets, which I got from the garage over the road represent important things in your life that make you feel like you and give you the sort of strength and energy and sort of the stuff that's good. So um, your faith, time with Jesus in prayer, reading the Bible, um, time cultivating that relationship with Jesus, your close friendships, family relationships, life and all that kind of stuff. Um, for me, exercise and then um, my vocation, what I feel God has, my purpose, what God has called me to do. But what happens is, the top of the jug is like when life is full, and suddenly there's no time for exercise and no time for my job apparently. But um, uh, so so it doesn't really work. So these important blocks. If instead of that, bear with. If instead you look and you think, okay, what's important in my life? What are the things that I need to prioritize? And for me, actually, my faith, I I sort of find that if I go to bed at quarter to ten every evening, I spend half an hour reading my Bible, writing in my journal, and it finishes my day. It helps me to sort of feel close to Jesus. And so I put that in. I sort of carve that time out. The other thing is, um, uh, another thing I haven't done, Liz and I always, every Thursday night, had a date night. We always just carved out um, one evening a week to spend just the two of us. Um, so I should put that in, really. Um, that's fallen out of my life. Um, exercise, like a, just putting in a big block of exercise, that would be really helpful. So every day at um, 3 o'clock or oh, whenever. That's not going to work if it goes like that, Caitlin. Um, and then um, vocation, your life, your job, whatever you do. And then, I hope this works now that they've gone funny, but life sort of fits in around the edge. Oh, it's not going to Oh, hang on. Hey. Really good. You can leave, Debbie McGee. Um, I wonder if um, you might want to take a look at your life and think, am I living a rhythm to my life that means I'm ever going to feel rested, close to Jesus, in a good place with my family, my friends, and my relationships? Is the rhythm in your life right How do we find rest in the stress of life? Come to Jesus, take his yoke, learn his rhythm. And we're going to pray for one another in a sec. But I just want to finish. You know, in Genesis, the first moment God talks about creating humans. He created humans on the sixth day. And the very next day was the first rest day. It was the first Sabbath. It was the first day off. It was day number seven where God rested and he rested with man. It's not a mistake that we were made to be rested, made to enjoy time with Jesus, made to enjoy creation, made to operate out of a place of peace and rest. And I think that we have an opportunity to reclaim that in our lives, in our nation as well. And we're going to pray for each other now. Would you like to stand? We're going to pray.